This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Blessed Sunday to you. This is um, my first presentation of confirmed writings of Padre Pio that are not prophetic in nature. There have been numerous prophecies attributed to him, some falsely, some truly that came from him. These are not of such. I would say these are more valuable than prophecy. Because remember, our primary mission in this life is to know and love and serve our Lord. This collection of what you're going to hear are his thoughts on prayer, seeking sanctity. Something far more important than what may or may not be coming in the future, perhaps when we're not even around to experience it. Remember, prayer is much more important than virtually anything else. So here is Padre Pio on his method for prayer. My ordinary way of praying is this. No sooner have I set myself to pray than I immediately feel my soul begin to recollect itself in a peace and tranquility that cannot be expressed in words. The senses remain suspended, with the exception of the hearing, which sometimes is not suspended. Normally, this sense does not cause any bother. However, and I must confess that even if I were to be surrounded by a deafening noise, I would not be in the least disturbed. From this, you will be able to understand that there are few times that I manage to discourse with the intellect during my prayer. Time seems to fly past, and it never seems that I have enough of it for prayer. I feel great love of good reading, but I read little enough because both my ill health prevents me, and also because on opening a book and reading for a little, I become so profoundly recollected that reading becomes prayer. I never tire of praying to Jesus. It is true that my prayers are worthy rather of punishment than reward, because I have sickened Jesus too much by my numberless sins, but in the end he will be moved to have mercy on me. I want to tell you about a curious thing that has been happening to me for some time now, though I don't really give it much thought. In prayer, it happens that I forget to pray for those who commend themselves to me. Not all, however, or for those who I intended to pray for. I strive beforehand to make myself pray and commend such a person or another. But of course, O oh Lord, as soon as I enter into prayer, my mind rests in a perfect emptiness, and not a trace remains of what was there before, even though I had it very much at heart. At other times, on the other hand, I feel moved, sending in prayer, to pray for those I had no intention of praying for, and what is even more marvelous, for those who have never known, nor seen, nor heard of, nor have they commended themselves to me, not even through other people. And sooner or later, the Lord always answers these prayers." As soon as I set myself to pray, I immediately feel as if my heart has been engulfed by the flame of a living love. This flame has nothing to do with any flame in this world here below. It is a delicate and sweet flame that gives no pain. It is so sweet and so delicious that the spirit finds a great satisfaction in it and remains satisfied by it in such a way that it does not lose the it. It is, O oh God, the most marvelous thing for me, and perhaps I will never understand it until I enter the heavenly homeland. This desire, far from taking away the soul's complete satisfaction, continually refines it. The enjoyment that the soul feels in its center rather than being diminished by the desire becomes more and more perfected. The same can be said of the desire to delight always in this most living flame, because such a desire is not quenched by the delight, but is refined by it. From this you will be able to understand the times when I can discourse with the intellect or make use of the functionings of the senses are being ever more rare. 
I don't know whether I've managed to explain myself, but I don't know how to express myself more clearly. The soul which has been placed in such a state by the Lord, enriched by so much heavenly knowledge, ought to be more eloquent. And yet this is not so in my case. My soul has become almost mute. I do not know if this phenomenon is true, is true only in me. In terms that are very general, and more often than not also empty of meaning, the soul manages to express a little bit of what the spouse of the soul is doing in it. Believe me, my father, all this in no light is torment for the soul. What happens in this situation is similar to what would happen to a poor shepherd boy if he was brought into a royal chamber, where an array of precious objects had been gathered together, the like of which he had never seen before. When the shepherd boy leaves the chamber, he would undoubtedly have all those various precious and beautiful objects present in his mind's eye, but he would also undoubtedly not be able to say how many there were, nor to give them their proper names. He would want to speak to others about all he had seen. He would gather together all his powers of reasoning in order to explain himself well. But seeing that all his efforts were unavailing, he would end up preferring to keep quiet. This is what is happening in my soul, which through divine goodness alone has been raised to this level of prayer. Alas, my father, I realize well, of course, that we do not always deserve what we get. All these extraordinary things, far from ceasing, become continually more and more lofty. I feel that the raptures have been stronger, and they usually come with such force that all my efforts to prevent them come to nothing. The Lord has placed my soul in a greater detachment from the things of this world here below, and I feel that he's continually strengthening it in the holy freedom of spirit. The purely supernatural revelations and apparitions concern God, his perfection and attributes. I find it impossible to describe them in writing, even though I have them present in my mind just as I have in my hands this piece of paper on which I am now writing. An example I hope might make this clear in a limited way. We carry a mirror around in front of us. What do we see? Nothing other than a human image. Our intellect, if it is not infirm, does not doubt. It would not even dream of doubting that the image is our own. Let us imagine that all the world wants to prove to us that we are fooling ourselves. In our belief that the image we see is our own, perhaps they would manage not to remove our conviction, but to cause even a slight doubt to raise itself in our minds about it. Certainly not. Well, the same thing happens to me regarding these divine revelations and locutions. The soul sees these heavenly secrets, these divine perfections, these divine attributes, very much more clearly than we see our image in the mirror. All the efforts I make to doubt their reality succeed only in making my soul ever stronger in conviction. I don't know whether you've ever seen what happens when a little water is poured over a great fire. This small amount of water not only does not put the fire up, but actually feeds the flame. This is what happens to me after all my attempts to doubt, that these things come from God. But let us return to the image that we observed in the mirror. We cannot separate that image from the mirror, much less we touch it. And yet the image exists outside of us, but not without us. The same happens to me. The soul remains itself fundamentally convinced that the heavenly revelations could only come from God, notwithstanding all its continual efforts to doubt this fact. But as we find it impossible to separate the image from the mirror or to touch it, it is equally even more difficult for me to be able to write about these heavenly secrets, because of the lack of words to describe them. The soul, without being mistaken, can only state what these things are not. I'll try to make myself clear. Let us suppose that God reveals to the soul one of his attributes, his holiness, for example. The soul understands this attribute, in as far as God has given it the capacity. That which it has once understood, it has always fixed, in, fixed inside it, 
but it is not able to express that which it has understood and that which it also sees. But if others speak of this divine attribute, the soul understands very well and very quickly if they make a mistake or speak in an imperfect way. This way of speaking may seem incomprehensible to you, but if the Lord has given you some experience in this matter, you will know that I am speaking the truth. If you find this sort of language obscure, my father, I declare that I don't know how to explain myself more clearly, unless Jesus wished to come to my aid. O Father, who could sketch out a faithful image of these things? I would greatly desire to do this, if only to know from you what this state is in, which my soul more and more finds itself at present. Patience. Blessed be the God who alone can do great things. Oh, if praying for other people did not include also praying for oneself, my soul would undoubtedly be the most neglected of all. And this is not because it does not recognize its need of divine help, but because it lacks the time to present all its necessities to the Lord. This seems ridiculous, and yet this is how it normally is with me. May it please the Lord, source of all life, not to deny me this water, so sweet and so precious, that he in the exuberance of his love for humankind promises to those who thirst for it. I thirst for it, O Father, for this water. I ask Jesus for it with continual groans and sighs. Pray yourself also that he doesn't hide it from me. Tell him, Father, so that he knows how great my need for that water is, that alone can heal a soul wounded by love. Let this most tender spouse of the sacred cantle console a soul that thirsts for him, and let him console it with the same divine kiss which the holy spouse requested of him. Tell him that until a soul receives this kiss, it will never be able to conclude a pact with him in these terms. I am my beloved's, my beloved is mine. I'm curious, do you recognize in yourself anything he said there? Any of that ring familiar to you? This lack of time to pray for your own self, that you're praying for others. Do you find what he says aspirational? Do you find it intimidating? I can understand some would feel intimidated by the notion of praying constantly. Some might be tempted to say, well, it's easy enough for him. He was a religious. Perhaps he was also a very busy religious. People sought him out daily. He prayed constantly. And there are those of us engaged in secular work or even normal secular living who can pray near constantly too. It is possible for us. Padre Pio shows us the way, I think. But I'm curious what you have to say about this. So let me know in the comments, please. Hit like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to share this on social media, that helps too. And thanks to the patrons of this channel for giving me the resources to find old books that have long since been out of print to bring to you on this channel. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.